right, Wayne. We've just witnessed some chaos in United versus Leeds. I guess that's what Leeds wanted. We're into the post-Casemiro era. Well, three games of it. It's not looking awesome. How are you doing anyway, first? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, all good things must come to an end. First of all, United's run of wins at Old Trafford. Second of yeah. all, the run of me not being on the pod. So, sorry, listeners, I'm back. Yeah, do you know, yeah, it's it's not great. In the post-Casemiro era, it looked like it was going to end with a draw on Saturday without him. And it did end with a draw without him today. I also think, quietly, Ericsson's probably been as big, if not more yeah, than a miss. Fully um, agree. I, I don't think it's the prevailing sentiment, is it? Uh, I mean, I guess a lot because Ericsson drops off in games, but the ability to control midfield without Ericsson in there is just almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so it's a willing runner and hard worker and uses the ball okay. Fred just mm. so chaotic with him in there. You feel like he'd do well in the lead side, just trying to disrupt everything. But we're trying to control and create chances, good chances. Not There's a lot of chances today, but good chances were sort yeah. of far and few between. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough, it's a real tough miss. I guess the only bright side, and it's not much of a bright side, is that these games against Leeds and Leicester, at least they're not the top, top teams that we will have to be playing. And so if he has to miss three and a third games, then... These are better ones to miss than some. Still, mm. big, big, big miss. Yeah, they, they are. And Paul Fred, he, he did not have a good game today. And everything he seemed to do turned really bad. And it, it's, it's difficult for him because in, in the midfield of Casemiro and Ericsson and Fred, you can see what he brings to the team in the midfield where he's sort of relied upon to keep the ball ticking over. I, I know that we know that he doesn't do it, but you would think some sensibility would kick in. You know, he's, he's 27, 28 now. He's, he's quite, he's, he's definitely a sort of veteran yeah. of the first team. He's been there. He, he would know the requirements of that team in this system. And we, we saw it with Fernandez. Fernandez is a little bit rash. I'm not saying that costs us the first goal because it's a full passage after that. But it is that inability to control the ball, which has completely cost us a result today. And it is mad. Yeah, you were right in what you said about Sabitza. Yeah, I mean, he had a six, 5.5 out of 10 game. And this still his ability to put his foot on the ball and control it, it seems vastly superior to Fernandez and Fred. And that's the thing that cost us. We At one point, we had to sort of engage with it, you know, take the absentees out of the game, mix that front line up so you, so yep. we weren't carrying two passengers at least. And so that we had 11 players on the pitch, even if two of them were just giving the ball away all the time, and then just see what happened. And thankfully, because Leeds let you play against them, he got us a point, but, you know, it's just it's a tough one. I mean, Fred's by far the only, he's not the only one that we should be guiding because he's the most notable one because of how poor the midfield was. Right. He's picking a bad run to go disappearing when, when we've got another forward who goes disappearing. It's, it's not great I mean that area either. So you know what I mean? In the critical areas where you think, all right, we, we should have some stability in defence and, it, when you have one problem, you have two, and then it sort of undermines this, 
safe right, yeah. areas of the team. And then, you know, I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. And it's a very difficult thing for Ten Hag to deal with. I mean, I thought, yeah, all right, we got away with it tonight. I'm not wholly convinced that that's a solution going forward. I just think we, we got away with it. I will be interested to see what he does at Leeds and against Leicester. Less so against Barcelona because, I mean, obviously Casemiro will be back for that. But the the next two league games are kind of critical. Hopefully now people will stop saying about the league, but consolidating the Champions League spot for sure. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, we've seen it with other United managers when there's been weaknesses in the squad that you end up putting square pegs in round holes on one compromise yeah. gets another compromise. And part of part of the compromise today was to get Rashford on the right, where he's much, much less effective. Garnacho was bright in the first half without being really dangerous. I mean, it looks good, but it didn't always come off. I guess Luke Ayling did pretty well against him for the most part. But, but the compromise of not having a controller in there and bringing Fred in is a big one. I mean, I, 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 I kind of thought aloud on the last pod that perhaps perhaps moving Jadon Sancho into the centre and Bruno into the number eight role would might be the answer. That would be a compromise too, because of course mm. we have seen at times that Bruno, when he played earlier in the season, more as a, like a double eight, can be much more controlled. He takes fewer risks if he's asked to play that role, yeah. but it's not his natural game. I mean, he is, he is, he's swinging for the fen- fences, isn't he? all the time mm. and I mean I can forgive it because he creates a lot of chances and he gives the ball away but he creates a lot of chances it's it's all uh, it's all in the cause of trying to score goals for United Fred's less forgivable because he gives away the difficult passes and the simple passes in equal measure and and that definitely undermined United today I mean very directly in in a couple of passages of play in the second half where he turned over the ball in very dangerous situations one which led to the free kick that Aronson hit the post with and one that led to a transition. And it's like, what What can you say? We know what Fred gives, but we also know what he gives away and it's the ball yeah. a lot. And, yeah. and and unfortunately, like the injuries and suspensions have, have hit hard right now. I mean, three, three, two injuries and, and Casemiro's suspension right in the centre of midfield. I mean, it meant by the end of the game, that Victor Lindelof was playing in central midfield. I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. But yeah, you know, um, stepping up from the back like Franz Beckenbauer. Ten Hag was talking it up, wasn't he? In the in the so like last week or so, he's been talking up this holding midfielder role. Or they've been trying him there in training, but it is it is that rashness. And yeah, to come back to Fred, it manifests itself in different ways. It's not just the errors; it's the atonement or the attempts of atonement so he's doing the Gerard trying to be a hero scoring trying to shoot from long range it's yes. like just give it give it up do you know like move the ball on be more economic because you're costing us in more in more ways and that Lindelof all right he was I guess the best thing you could say about him that you didn't notice him and you know what I mean it could have been a lot worse that but yeah, it is one of those things when you've when you've got a few absentees and and the manager's having to roll his dice and you're looking at the end of the game and you're thinking yeah that do- doesn't look too clever. But you mentioned a point there. These are qualities that we know of the players, and I still have to remind myself, even though I am being critical and it's definitely a poor result, that the the low floor of these players still seems to be a lot higher than it was. A year ago, and I know it's very difficult to think about when we've lost two two against Drew, lost two two against <laughs> Leeds for sure. Yeah, he's definitely that. But 
what we you know the conversations we might have been having about Fred a year ago would have, we would have been probably ripping into him a lot more and I think I feel like the effort was there we know that the quality is not there and we know unfortunately that's that's kind of like the wasteland of the midfield the the remnants that we've got there that we have to deal with and yeah like saying Sabitza is not going to be a long term answer he, he might well get signed on, on by virtue of the fact that. He's so much better on the ball than McTominay and Fred, but that's a, a f- quite a dangerous precedent, isn't it? Really, you know, the, the bare minimum. And I'm not being—I don't want to be cruel. I'm saying McTominay and Fred have got other qualities. Being a team, we've seen the difference that Casemiro and Eriksen have made, and you've seen the difference that that has made to the Manchester United team. Then you know the the distance that United need to be travelling in. Yeah. And you know what those players don't bring to the side. So No, that that's right. And and we saw towards the end of the game, given how many changes there were and, and that the bench does not go deep enough yet. Lots of progress. And and in a way this this game kind of reminded me of a year ago where yeah. United just lacked the quality that we've had. I mean we ended up with Palestri on the right, Malassia at right back, Victor Lindelof in midfield. I mean, a lot of a lot of effort, and it was just about enough to get a draw in the end. I mean, the the change that the change before that that Ten Hag made to bring off Veghorst and move Rashford central and bring Sancho on was clearly very key because it suddenly yeah. made United a lot more dynamic. And and of course, Veghorst. We needed another body. We can see what he is now. He started seven games in a row. He's a decent player, but he's not going to beat anyone for pace. His touch is okay, but he's not going to dribble around anyone. He doesn't score many goals. He doesn't shoot very often, basically. He's bringing something, but... He's there. (laughs) He's there, but it's not loads, is it? And, And... it's just it's just a touch thin, and I, I think you are right when you said that. I mean, Ten, Ten Hag has his feet on the ground, right? He he knows it's a, a process. But as fans, of course, we were like we're dreaming, aren't we? We're looking at the table, going, "Well, you know what? Not if City are in this, and we're only three yeah. points behind them, we should be in it too." Yeah. And there's there's the tendency to want that dream, and of course, right? Of course, because everything other than Manchester United winning the league is unpalatable. But yeah. it's very unlikely to happen this season. But United should be the best of the rest. We should be in yeah. that top four. And and unfortunately, it's it's when we just like scratch below the surface and the squad is tested a bit because of suspensions and injuries. It's not quite as good as we'd like it to be. And points are going to be dropped. Yeah, and 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 I'm trying to be. Yeah, and you gave a very level-headed response there as well. And I've tried to be, but let's also be fans for a minute and say that was a bloody disappointing result. It was because Leeds, oh, God, do, yeah. they do let you play. And even even accounting for the, the absentees in the side, perhaps Tenog could have got it better from the start. He, he did address the, the sort of problems in the side pretty early and it did prompt a very early comeback which is another good sign of Tenog. I'll always forgive a manager an error if they atone for it, they rectify it, then fine. And he did do that. But, you know, we beat this Leeds team. We battered them with a much worse team than we've got now. Yes, all right, we've got absentees, but we should have still been. The chaos thing shouldn't have caught us too much by surprise. The fact that they were going to put up an effort shouldn't have taken us by surprise because it's Leeds. And it seemed to, and that has... Perhaps that's more on the players than it is the manager because the players should have been aware of that. They that's it seemed to catch him cold and 
the response was good. I, I, we ought to do. We ought to concentrate on something positive, and it's good to talk about Jaden Sancho because you said the, the yeah. contribution there. It wasn't just the goal; his contribution was very smart. I think probably owing a little bit to the movement. I know Garnacho had some good moments, but um, where Garnacho sort of hugs the line and he plays as a winger, it, it, or it, he's sort of trying to acclimatise the side, makes it difficult for Shaw to play his normal way. Whereas if you put Sancho and Rashford in tandem, Shaw knows where to go and he knows where to move and he saw the massive They play off each other well, yeah. 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 So, but Sancho, yeah. And Garnacho didn't have the chance to play off Marcus Rashford and maybe the movement ahead would have prompted him to... Move the yeah, ball exactly. and not just yeah. himself. Yeah, and he's very, very direct, Garnacho, and and uh, I do think he's he's intelligent. He makes mostly the right decisions. Yeah. Some of that comes with experience, but also some of it is the the system and the structure. And I, I mean, Vekos is a static target; like he just doesn't move very much, so he's quite easy to mark. The 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 irony, of course, is United barely put a cross in, and then Vekos goes off, and we just start. We start, yeah. you know, throwing them in, putting yeah. tons in. Yeah, <laughs> not that I necessarily think that ten, that's how Ten Hag wants to play. He doesn't want to get it wide and lump it into the big man or anything like that. I mean, clearly not. It's not like any fears that we'd turn into Burnley with Vague Horse in the side have come to come true. But it was it was kind of amusing that in the five minutes after he'd gone off, we just suddenly keep spinning balls in the box. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Uh, it's 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 a hard he's hard to find the right balance with those players because we've got Rashford, Sancho, and and who all want to play in the same position basically, and the 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 worst compromise was Rancho, Rashford Rancho, let's just merge them all into one with Rashford is to move him to the right where he's not only less effective his numbers just show it I mean he he scores yeah. a quarter of the goals or something like that and the second best compromise if you have to move him away from the left is to play him through the middle and I I just wonder whether that's the right move now either either the what I was thinking with moving Fernandez a bit deeper and and uh, Sancho into the number 10 spot or Sancho off the left and Rashford through the middle or Garnaccio off the left and Rashford through the middle something that's just a bit more dynamic than than uh, Veghorst being through the middle in the games where we really want to be on the front foot yeah. Like this I, one, like the one at the weekend, and like the one against Leicester coming up. Yeah, because I mean, it, I, I happen to agree with that. I think Rashford through the middle is probably the natural way to go, and you, you can play. Let's say Anthony's out just for the sake of this conversation. I, I think you can play Sancho and Garnacho in either of the wide positions. Just tell them to sort of pick up where they need to be. I probably prefer to have Garnacho from the left. Sancho's no stranger to playing from the right, even if you'd kind of want a game on the left just to ease him back in the side. But they, like I said, there's nothing saying that they can't move around. And the, the I think what we saw from them in pre-season, especially when it's Rashford, Martial and Sancho, is that they weren't sticking to positions. They were moving around. That's true. So, and like you said, there's there's definitely a, a thing for him there at number 10, Sancho. So, but yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to see that against Leeds at the weekend. And again, again, without wanting to be critical of Vegas, he's a good option for the chaos he's a good option for that kind of scenario the last 20 minutes if you're throwing crosses in and I just think yeah we've he's had a good run of games we've seen what he, he we've seen the limitations in in that setup we've seen how it affects other players it's now probably time and, and Ten Hag to be fair he, he's probably seen it he's probably ahead of us in noticing it he's probably going to 
pick Rashford from the start of the weekend in through the middle and then build the build the attack around that. Yeah, I'd um, be really surprised if he doesn't. And and it yeah. looks like there's no chance of Martial being back anytime. I I mean, who knows with Martial? Martial decides his own fitness, but he's mm. got. I think Ten Hag said it was a recurrence. He used some word like that, didn't he, about Martial's injury? So it's like, it's the same it's the same problem as he had before. So who knows? I mean, it just say same story for the last how how many years has he been at the club? Six, seven, yeah, something like yeah. that. It's yeah. It, I mean, you just can't rely on him. It would be Ten Hag's first choice to play there. We're not going to get it. They cost, as you said, limitations, especially when we want to be on the front foot. And and for the next two games, at least Leeds and and uh, Leicester, I think I think Rashford through the middle makes a lot of sense. The Barcelona game's a different question, and I'd be kind of surprised if Veghorst doesn't play that one, just just because they want a, someone to play into, assuming that you know, I'd be under a, a lot of pressure for much of that game. That's to yeah. come. We can talk about that later. So, I mean, look, the positives, United got in front for after Lee scored the second goal, which came early in that second half. I'm sure Ten Hag's, like, whatever message he want to, wanted to give, which I'm sure was about starting with intensity i sound like a pundit now don't don't i putting words in people's mouths but i'm sure it was that it was kind of thrown out after Leeds scored that that second by the way handball i know it's not handball because the law says as long as there's one extra pass as long as it's not the final pass it yeah it, it doesn't count as handball but still he gained an advantage under the old rules handball under the new rules he can fucking basketball it as much as he likes as long as it's yeah two passes before the goal so anyway with, after with that, that United did really well they came yeah. back intense and pushed didn't they so I yeah they did I I, I do want to comment on on the handball because I think it's so ridiculously ambiguous now that everything like it's handball it's handball a player has handled the ball it's handball you can't just like say oh it's two passes before the goal I mean are you just gonna? Unfortunately, IFAB have said that. So, but do you know, you know are, what I'm yeah. saying? Like, were you looking at it because he could have handballed it in the middle of the pitch, and there might have been 50 passes before anything else. But he's still handball. Do you not blow for the foul anymore? Like, they, no, it's it's ridiculous. That like, you know they they look at it. They look at it in the context of the goal and not the context of the decision. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's right. And it, yeah, they are working back from that potential goal and 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 not just the thing that happened. Same with the offside law. Both have been made more complex and less easier to understand. Both have been changed in order to, in as many scenarios as possible, benefit the attacking side. Yeah. So likely, because like you don't get this, which phase of play is it where the handball happened in the defensive phase, likely it would have been blown mm. for a free kick if it had been the other way around. I mean, which like... The com- the complexity doesn't help, does it? With with understanding players, pundits, fans, managers probably get it, although not all. So Leon Os- Osman on the the world feed, by the way, definitely in the top five most dreadful co-coms. Absolutely <laughs> crap, oh, just no. awful. <laughs> but Leon Osman on the world feed didn't understand it either. So anyway, yeah. It's again a clear advantage, but Leeds took advantage, got it wide quickly, and and uh, Rafa put in, so, in his own net, unfortunately. But after that, it happened from United. I mean, it was it was good between was it Palestri and Delo to get the cross in for Rashford, Rashford's goal, yeah. and it was very smart from Sancho first in attacking, 
and then controlling it really well when the ball ricocheted back to him to get the shot off early. And it's, I guess it's that, that early shot that beat Meslier and, and the Forrester yeah. players between yeah. him and the goal because it was very close to him and he's a good keeper. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the surprise did him. Yeah, I thought, to be fair, when it was 1-0, I looked at the team and they responded quite well. We've seen in the... in pre, Not to hark on about the past, but we've seen heads drop when when United have got a goal down. They didn't do that, they responded. But it was kind of like, well, the chaos is there. Are they going to benefit from from that chaos? And then when it goes to 2-0, you know that that kind of approach isn't going to do it because you said there, you're going to see the intensity. If you see the intensity from that United midfield, all that means is they're going to give it away all the time. So you need you you needed those changes. You needed Sancho. You needed Palestri. And thank God that now recognise that because that is basically what got us the point. And yeah, the intensity was there. Don't get me wrong; it definitely was because the team came back and they got they got the point. But there was never the quality in terms of you know like the, you felt like United are going to stir back into this game like. I'm sure that we would have felt more convinced of it if one of Casemiro or Ericsson was on the pitch. For for sure, no. for sure, and and there's 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 no way of getting around that. There's no easy fix for it. He's gone like for like, basically, or tried to just gone with two central midfielders. We'll see if he changes for the game at the weekend. I mean. Mm. It will be more of the same otherwise, I think. And Ten Hag is very clear. He wants the ball. He wants to dominate the ball. And it's going to be very hard for United to do that, where it's basically a fight in the middle of the pitch. Because we know what Leeds are going to do. McKenney and Tyler Adams in there, they're just going to fight, right? They're two decent players, but neither of them is technically particularly good. But they have got lots of energy. They were very gnarly, weren't they? They were getting into United all the time. And that's what you'd expect. So that's I, what all the travelling Leeds fans expect, and they, they responded to it. I expect it from Leeds, don't I? I just feel like the last, like the the Palace was neither needlessly aggressive for like 40 minutes of that game. And it's just, maybe it's a sign of United on the ascendancy again and, and doing good things. But I, I it, it just feels like a little bit too much of an unnecessary needle in, in the games. Like, especially. There was moments in the Palace game, and there were moments. And don't get me wrong, United players aren't blameless in this. Because a couple of times I've seen Martinez going for tackles, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, a big one tonight, wasn't it? Yeah, and so, yeah. but you see, you look at it in the, the pace of the game sometimes, where and people are making mistakes. It makes you wince because it's just one second late on either side, and and you're going to see. It's like players looking for decisions and don't realise that they could cause harm to each other. That's what I don't yeah. like about it. And the, the, the needle, what I'm talking about the needle is yeah, yeah. little things like that. People will call it banter, but I and I don't. I know that you guys have already talked about this, the Casemiro decision. What I really didn't like about the needle about that, and it does kind of bounce into tonight, is that Casemiro, in my opinion, I, I, he was kind of yanking Will Hughes and he was holding him up. So when, not I'm not saying he was an angel, he started out like he was going to be aggressive, but I think he actually pulled him up and stopped him from falling down the yeah, little no, bank. I agree. And then at the end of it, Casemiro gets sent off and Will Hughes turns around holding the six fingers up. And I'm like, this guy is, you don't have to be his best friend, but he's he has stopped you from like banging your head at the very least and gave you a nice hook. I mean, who doesn't want to be up yeah. by Casemiro? I wanted to. I still do, by the way, Casemiro, if you're listening. Uh, you could give me a hug anytime. But, 
But Will Hughes, what I mean is that he's needless. Like, you turn around and you just, like, causing an aggravation. Like, he was already hostile, the atmosphere, anyway. And I just feel like, obviously, you're all, you are going to get that with United and Leeds. I just felt like the, the players didn't help it because you just think once... It, it just takes one one bad tackle and it, it boils over into something that, that we didn't need at that particular time. And But that I think that comes again with the rashness of the entire sort of setup. And perhaps I'm not blaming Ten Hag for that. It just couldn't be helped with the players, I guess. Well, I guess that's a good moment to transition. Perhaps a couple, couple other topics I wanted to talk about today. First, Leeds at the weekend, which will be a short preview, but we can talk about it. And then it'd be good to talk about the Manchester City situation and latest on the ownership. Yeah, I expect more of the same at Ellen Road. I don't know yep. about you, but I expect exactly the I, I same game. It, I think it'll be exactly the same game. And uh, I think the onus is on United to change if we want to change the pattern. Yeah. Because the Ellen Road crowd will be up for it, of course. I mean, always are. It's it's always uh, when United come into town, they decide to turn up the volume. Uh, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, Ellen Road? Because it hasn't changed much from 20 years ago kind of old school ground and I haven't I haven't been for a while actually I, I used to kind of enjoy going even though the atmosphere was hostile all the way from train station and or bus parking lots parking yeah. area to to the ground yeah I used to kind of enjoy that and I'm sure the United traveling support will be very good but they will be facing a hostile atmosphere as will the fans the team will be up for it I think if United don't want it to be chaos and fighting and needle, we have to adapt because yeah. Leeds are going to play exactly the same way. I don't think you can, with that squad of players, I don't think you can take the sting out of it unless... You know, I don't want... If I, This is going to sound like I'm holding him personally and singularly culpable, and I don't mean this, but... If you take Fred out and say the midfielders, Sabitzer and Fernandez in that sort of withdrawn role, like you talked about, and maybe put Sancho at 10 and find different options in that front three, even say Vegos, Rashford from the left and Sancho, Garnacho from the right or, or some other arrangement there. If you, you know what I mean, you really need a settled midfield to try and take the sting out of that game. And I don't know how United are going to be able to, how Tenog's going to be able to pull that off with the options that he's got. And it's not, it's not uh, impossible, but I think it's really going to necessitate taking Fred out of it in order to calm it down a little bit in there. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Obviously, with my vast coaching experience, I've got all the answers that Ten Hag doesn't. So <laughs> if he's listening, here's the template for you, Eric. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to square all these circles, but I, I think it probably does start with Fred not being in the midfield. It's just, it's just, it's one one element of chaos too much. I mean, unless unless you just really do try and ratchet up the intensity but and and try and kick them off the park and outwork them and maybe go a bit more direct. But I, I don't know. I, I, th- I, don't, I don't think this lead side... They, they don't press from the front. They were fighting in the midfield and they're quite open at the back. And I think that kind of says that United should try and play football mm. and, and try and dominate possession and it's going to be very hard for Fred to do that or for United to do it with Fred so anyway yeah there's the in-depth tactical discussion of United versus Leeds it'll be more of the same Uh, it would be very nice given uh, the thinness of our squad that we don't get any red cards so I I thought Martinez teetered on the edge a little bit tonight and it's only one 
one fraction of a second late when he's so aggressive between him and a, a, a red card, and we could really do without that. Yeah. And injuries, of course, with Barcelona coming out, could really do without any important injuries, of course. Yeah. We shall see. I mean, the the one thing that will be interesting is it's Ten Hag's first trip to Ellen Road. So it's going to be his first experience of the atmosphere. And, yeah, you can prepare, you can have people tell you what it's going to be like, but your first sort of 20 minutes in that environment is going to be like, oh, you know what I mean? I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I, I, it will be. I mean, look, I think his changes tonight made a difference, and he's, he's, he's not always proactive, but I think he was proactive tonight, and it'll be an experience for him to be in that atmosphere and, and for you know, continue his journey on, on improving this United side because like, I think the arc is going in the right direction. Bumps along the way, and there's been a few bumps recently. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, my point is, I think that. So our next two away games in the league are Leeds and Liverpool. My only observation to make on this, my prediction, is that however he lines up for them next season, if Leeds are still in the league, let's hope that they're not. But I guess they'll be very different to how he lines up against them this season. Yeah. All right, that's Leeds. We'll come back in a second and talk about City and the ownership stuff. No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQATpod, where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe. Maybe we can start with Manchester City. <laughs> I think... It's 2015 that the Der Spiegel leaks thing came out, and then obviously we had quite a few years of UEFA investigations. I was talking to a friend this week. It's like we're playing a game of Cluedo here. We know who did it. We know which room they did it in, and we know the murder weapon, right? There's no doubt about what has happened. And then the Premier League laid out 115 separate charges which was the surprising bit against Manchester City. And then the, the bit that got me, I just couldn't help laughing, laughing about this, it was Manchester City's sort of reaction to it. So two, the short statement, were, were absolutely were irrefutable evidence that none of this happened, right? 115 made-up charges. Yeah, sure. All right. And then through there, a client journalist at the Athletic, Sam Lee, who just spouts whatever their PR department tell him. I mean, at least he's kind of fairly open about his client journalism. <laughs> but it's all been very amusing, I have to say. What was your take been on the, the city developments? Yeah, I, I think the yeah the statement we are surprised by this. I'm like, oh. <laughs> how, <laughs> how the shamelessness is funny. Like you know, like we we all knew. Right, you'd you, like the Cluedo thing is, is a really good way of describing it, but also like we've all been playing this game of Cluedo for ten years as well. That that right. aspect of it, we've all we've all been playing it, and we all know it's the same thing every single time. And obviously, the the different the difference in the way that everyone's perceived the thing that happened with the UEFA, because obviously that was dropped because there was a time barring issue. It wasn't, well, most of it, not all of it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah but, yeah. but the, the major kind of consensus of it was that most of that didn't push forward and they claimed 
innocence on that as if like it, it absolved them of like oh well it, if anything that proves that city are an economic wealth the powerhouse that we always knew even even in spite of the general apathy of their own support to the greatest ever team that they've ever seen the, the, yeah. even in, in the face of that and it's like Come on, like I, I get you want to. We can have an argument about the merits of if they're the best team that you've ever seen, and and whether or not that's right or wrong to to be assembled in that way. Now, I, I, that's an objective thing, a subjective thing as well. You you can look at it and say the, these city fans who've watched the last ten years um, can say, "Oh, this is the best team of all time. This is the best manager of all time." We can have all those kind of conversations, but what you can't pretend is that Manchester City, who were beaten 8-1 by Middlesbrough in the last game before this takeover, have suddenly become this attractive global name that every top naming world football wanted to be attached to. And uh-huh. and that that's the reason for this success and that City have had this history of blah, 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 oh, blah. Yeah. I mean, the global reach... For commercial purposes, is amazing. It just all channels through Abu Dhabi. Amazing, and they win every. They they manage to win every contest of sponsorship. Is everyone is funneled by that? Is they make more commercial revenue than Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Bayern Munich. And and like now, the I think that. I can't decide which part is the funniest. The part of where they were climbing the ladder to suggest that that was the case to say these are in line with bigger clubs that are around us at the time, or yeah. that they took the step into being in front of Real Madrid, Barcelona, and United in, in spite of the fact that we're talking about 100 to 150 years of glorious history between those three clubs. And they want to believe that, oh, they want everyone else to believe that they are that kind of powers. Now, look, don't get me wrong. That's all very humorous for us watching because I think for much like the City fans themselves, because we have to be very blunt about this, they have been apathetic to their team's performances. Their response has not been as it would have been if they had organically won these trophies the way that they they claim to And the same with the football community, right? Pep complains about not getting the credit he thinks he's deserved and there's one reason for that. Exactly. Because it's all state-funded. There's a reason why me, as a Manchester United fan, have been forced to say some very difficult things, like Jurgen Klopp has been the best manager in the league and Liverpool have been the best managed team in the league, which I haven't enjoyed saying for the last three or four years, but I happen to believe is true because he's done it in the way that a football club should be run. Now, You you do go get a bar of soap afterwards and scrub your mouth, don't you? Yeah. Thoroughly, of course. I, mean, I recommend Absolute that for filth for, coming out of there for anyone. And yeah, I'm sorry if you've got to mark this with an 18 as well, because God, I, I should have given <laughs> exactly. You... There are children listening. Fair warning that I was going to do that. And and at least look, we were all enjoying Klopp's downfall, but that's a normal football procedure. That's a normal football yeah. kind of capitulation. As as much as the Liverpool fans are tying themselves in knots to say. Well, you're having an argument. This was the greatest ever team a year ago, and now all of a sudden they're in massive regression that can't compete, and and it's all owners' kind of faults. But it wasn't an owner's fault when it's Manchester United. Seeing that is kind of funny. But looking at <laughs> looking at the Manchester City aspects of it, the point I was making about all all this kind of long term thing 
is that they can say all these kind of things, but when they've got the apathy, when when the city fans and when Guardiola and when the football community at large has got the apathy, then the city supporters can't turn around and seriously look at. When they've been playing this game for ten years, they can't turn around with a straight face and, and say, "Yeah, but we have earned that organically." The the yeah. the money's like a it's it's got nothing to do with it, and and that money is completely legitimate. Like we that's because we were a big brand. It's nonsense. It's nonsense, and I'm glad that because there was some suspicion that 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 investigation had gone completely swept under the carpet. So for it to come out. And to be for it to be as robust and thorough yeah. well, as it had is, to be because of the amount of court challenges that yeah. City have put in the way. Um, good, and they've, good. They've, they've appointed the appropriately named Lord Panic to mount their defence. <laughs> Panic on the streets of Manchester. I, I did like. I thought, oh, could great. I be the first to tweet that? And I looked, and oh, fifty people got five hundred other people. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, look, we should remind everyone of the three the three tenets, really. I mean, 115 odd charges, and there's all the UEFA stuff. But basically, it's artificial inflation of sponsorship by channeling money from related parties from the Abu Dhabi government through sponsors and related party sponsors. And there's there's more control around that now, but there is a smoking gun of evidence and of emails and of presentations mm. that that UEFA couldn't use because some of it was, let's say, dubiously obtained and and out of date as well, time barred on the charge. But the Premier League don't because it's a private members club and not a court of law basically can right. So artificial inflation of sponsorship and and relating and and routing it through related parties. Then there's the pure financial fair play or profit and sustainability. And there's the belief in the Premier League that City have broken that. Not just 10 years ago, which was most of the artificial, the initial phase of artificially inflating sponsorship, but actually in recent seasons too, that City have, have likely breached the profit and sustainability. And then, which is related to the first part, of course, because they're doing the first part because of the second part. And then the third part, which is City's refusal to play ball with any of this, right? They turned over loads of stuff to UEFA only when they had to. Mm. And part of the reason why some of those charges were time barred, because City didn't play ball for years and years and years and years, right? And they think they can do the same thing here. And anyway, like if this means, like at the worst, right? If somehow the procedures haven't been followed, and it's interesting to know that's what City said they would also be fighting on, the substance and the procedures. If somehow the procedures haven't been followed closely and uh, the Premier League can't do anything or whatever, the, the damage to City's reputation, and this is a project about Abu Dhabi's reputation and access to power through the Premier League to globally, that, that will be significant. I think, and and of course, very few people will consume all the all the material the Premier League have put out or will put out, and it will be directed through the media and social media, and that means like people get a kind of pricey version of it all. But but there is damage to the reputation. And the second aspect of it is that there will be more controls in the future. There has to be right. It, it, there has to be a reckoning from English football to say, do we really want state money in? And and We'll come to it in a bit. This may be a question that will be coming very, very soon as well with with, with Manchester United and potential takeover mm-hmm. there as well. So, And then the worst, of course, I think 
lots and lots of speculation this week about what punishments there could be. My own view is that, it's just personal view, is that if there aren't very serious sporting sanctions, then the last 10 years, 15 years from the takeover, have been a complete fucking joke in football. Just, just a complete, and we know it's happening, but to have the smoking gun and to see it all laid out, yeah. right? The it's no different than Lance Armstrong injecting drugs, right? And like if you'd said to Lance Armstrong, you can you can take the EPO, it's perfectly legal, and then he won all the races while everyone was doing it. Great. If you say in football you can spend as much money as you like, and it doesn't matter where it comes from, off you go and City won. Then those are the rules, but they weren't the rules. For better or for worse, we've had frameworks over the last fifty years that have controlled, tried to control spending in some yeah. fashion, right? A new one's about to come into force from UEFA. And and City just absolutely flagrantly went to bend and break them. And and that means that there has to be quite severe sporting sanctions. Because, of course, financial sanctions don't mean anything. You can find them 150 million, 200 million, a billion pounds. It wouldn't make any yeah. difference. They, yeah. I'm sure that many people have seen responses of this ilk. It's kind of like... Oh yeah, I'm sure giving Bobby Mancini an extra under a thousand pound a week has ruined English football. But it's not about that. It's about the cumulative effect of like this. And I know Chelsea started it with the systemic weakening of the lower reaches of the Premier League to build the squad. You know, like the likes of Scott Parker and Sean Wright Phillips and Wayne Bridge, who were never going to play all the time, but they formed part of their squad, stockpiled the squad, and City did that in a much more aggressive way with bigger teams like Arsenal, they were much more aggressive with Arsenal taking the bigger players off them. Mm. And then they did it, you know, like the Villas, Everton's, whenever a team looked like they were going to be pushing, even Swansea, when they looked like they were going to push up the table, they just nicked a couple of their players. And it was like, not nicked, paid handsomely for them. But they were weakening the league while they were doing it. And people have, have gone, to, oh, no, the Premier League's the best it's ever been, or blah, blah. No, they, they've weakened the league. And you can see through, and, and they would do it. They'd continue to do it if they were... I'd, caught Blanche like they have done and you could see probably the trace of when they had to stop behaving like that is probably intrinsically linked to the focus of these kind of investigations and it's not right it's a complete joke and it's a joke either way I know you said it's a joke if they they get let let off with it it's a joke because it's happened in plain sight we've all seen it we all know the reason why they've been successful and that's the reason why there's apathy now my take on it as a rival fan is that I'm glad that they won the trophies instead of Liverpool because or even Arsenal. I've been having that thing with myself, oh, I really can remember how much I dislike Arsenal when I've seen the fans crowing about taking advantage of this poor league. But yep. but City is still, because they're nothing, because because it's a joke. Because it, it doesn't count joke. because yeah, it's, it fantasy. it's fantasy exactly. league. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That's right, I was actually quite I mean, I, I mean, to the extent you can celebrate, I was happy that City won the league last year in that very tight race and, and not Liverpool because Liverpool are, and again, children, cover your ears, a legitimate football club run very well by a very good football manager, right? And that would have meant more to coin a phrase than, than City just buying it through very dubious means. Anyway, back, back to the sanctions. I, I noted a lot of people kind of speculating about who titles could be awarded to. I don't I don't think you need to do that. I mean, in Italy, when Juventus were relegated, I think actually relegation should be on the card for City. 
yeah. because that is a, a significant and important sanction. Not just like they cheated for 15 years. Don't give them one season of penalties. They give them multiple seasons of penalties. But back to, back to my point about could the titles have gone like the titles that City have won would have been split evenly between Liverpool and, and United. I actually think they should all just be have an asterisk, right? No winners for those seasons because United didn't win the league in those years. Yeah. Neither did Liverpool. And I, I don't think like the Olympics, you can suddenly post someone a gold medal and go, here, there you won, like after they trailed 10 yards behind Ben Johnson or whatever. Yeah. So I, I don't think that has really any merit. It wouldn't make me feel like United won those leagues under Oli and Mourinho and another no, Fergie. And- and the but, uh, but leaving it blank with a big asterisk, so we all know for eternity that City cheated to get those titles. Yeah, yeah that's I, that would feel good. I, and I think it probably leaves a bit of a, a bigger message as well. I do I, I agree with you. I think I did read that the the examination or the time span is it would effectively award United two extra titles and Liverpool an extra one. Right, right. but but. I still think, even though that had edge United an extra one away from them, that wouldn't want it to be like that. It's not that's not what our rivalry with Liverpool is about. So no, put the it, it doesn't. It, that wouldn't feel good. I mean, like there's already an asterisk against Liverpool's pandemic win because, like, how can you call it a title win if your fans can't celebrate it? Doesn't yeah, really mean anything, does it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Any, anyway, <laughs> I, I do. I do think. I mean, look, there's a lot of cynical takes that maybe this will come to nothing, and and we feel like that because City have got very expensive lawyers who are no doubt being paid for by the City Football Group and not Manchester City because that might hit their uh, FFP since they're running up bills of a hundred grand a day on lawyers or something. But uh, anyway, there's a lot of cynical takes. We'll see. It seems very robust, the Premier League process. But and there's some there's some thought that we may get a final judgment within the year. And of course then there'll be some kind of appeal and, and we'll see after that. I don't think actually it can go to CAS because actually the the UK is not part of that. No, I, I read that he can't. I, do, yeah. I I agree though that you said about sanction. I think relegation by a couple of leagues. We're talking about the most serious case of this, anything like this, in football history, in global football yeah. history. So yeah, we, we saw right. we yeah. saw what happened with the Juventus and in Milan. This has got to be much more severe than that. And I know it's a different country, but it has to be. It has to be. You've got to look. They've had ten years, fifteen years of fun, but they have to pay the penalty for it. Like right. if, if English football is to be taken seriously, as as an, I think uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it kind of comes to the next the next thing or the final thing I want to talk about before we uh, before we leave it that that there's been speculation around a potential Qatari bid. Of course, you know, the we're expecting bids to be wrapped up very soon, and so those who choose to make it public or make it public, like obviously we've got Ratcliffe and now the Qataris who seem to be very happily happily playing along with the publicity. Other there'll be many 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 more, I'm sure, that who are not taking it public and, and want to keep their cards close to their chest. Brain Group, the bank that did the sale of Chelsea and managing all that process. But but I, I see in the same breath people laughing at City and then like welcoming Qatar with open arms. And I, I just don't like the the cognitive dissonance that you have to have to like do that mm-hmm. I find absolutely amazing. Right. They'd like 
the result of state-based sport washing projects is what has happened at Manchester City and, and Paris Saint-Germain to a different extent. I mean, they've been punished by UEFA previously. And to think that suddenly how somehow we need that at Manchester United. I mean, we don't need that. United make tons of money properly run. United will be a force in European football again. The idea that we need state money from a a autocratic and absolute autocracy is is bonkers. And and the the other thing I wanted to say there, like there would have to be some like uh, real mental gymnastics at the Premier League and UEFA to say, oh yeah, this is all right. This is a private entity. It might much in the same way that the Premier League pretended that the the state sovereign wealth fund of of Saudi Arabia wasn't anything to do with the government. Absolutely amazing. They'd have to do a similar thing here because believe me, if, if, so if you're not you're going to be sold at what six seven eight billion, it's 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 five percent of GDP for Qatar. It's a small country. The idea that you could spend five percent of GDP on a foreign asset in an absolute autocracy and it not be okayed by the the ruler, hmm. it just doesn't happen. So yeah. yeah, it would be a state project, and I for one don't want anything to do with that. I I did see a couple of people speculating that these were individuals rather than the entity, and I think yeah, I, I agree with it without the lines knowing are very too much blurred. about it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's definitely bad. But I do. It's we could get into another four-hour podcast talking about the merits and the sort of like the murky waters of any billionaire, anyone who owns a football club. And I, I'm not I'm not backtracking on things that I've said previously because I, I've, I've been very public about things that I've said previously about ownerships of all of the major clubs, including our own. I just would like to echo what you said because I know like a lot of people will probably be listening to podcasts like these just in case of whatever happens to be informed of our decisions or our opinions to be coming back and saying, oh, you said this or you said that. My position is and always, and it's the same as what you've just said, is that United do not need, they don't need artificial growth in the way that Manchester City needs it. They don't need that kind of input, even even if it took a decade of refurbishing the stadium or getting the infrastructure right. But United were standing on their own two feet. I'd be quite happy with that as long as they were doing it in their own way, using their own money to do that. They don't need this outside income to be doing that. And I think it's the murky water again going into whoever is the owner, if they are a wealthy benefactor or anything like that. I would, even if they were very wealthy and it was from one of these controversial regions, I would still prefer, but this is just me as a Manchester United fan, that there was a distinction there that made me feel a little bit more comfortable that United was still doing it their own way, that they weren't going out and spending £600 million in a transfer window because that would be an obvious exercise in the sports washing and and this this avenue which you've talked about and that we've all talked about for years. If they... When we, we have no control over this as fans and obviously whoever takes over the club is going to impact us all in the way that we think and feel about it this is just we're reacting to this because this is the story of the last 24 hours and it was always going to be it was always going to be that this was going to be a story because they somewhere from Qatar or from the Middle East there are going to be other entities making bids if it was a Saudi Arabian individual we'd be talking about that now so it's just a case of who it is in this time span 
And the point is, like you've said, and just to reiterate the point, it is not about these other people. Whoever it is is gonna is gonna cause some some discomfort, some political juggling in our own brains. And it's not gonna be comfortable for anyone because there's not gonna be an easy answer apart from the temporary joy that the club won't be laden with debt and the, the glazers yeah. will be gone and then and then it's the mental gymnastics that come after that. I'm I'm trying yeah, yeah. I'm to, my my own process is if United are self sufficient, if they just operate the way that they've traditionally done before the debt before the debt was laid on them, but if they can operate on their own two feet and they're spending the money that they generate and it's all within the rules and everything like that. I'll be completely happy. I don't want more than that. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy for the old joint to be there, getting a lick of paint, as long as it's a nicer colour of paint than what looks outside at the moment. If they refurbish it at a slow, slow rate, if they can add the odd section here or there to make it look nicer, then great. Increase the capacity. If they can convince all those guys at the back to sell the houses so they can build over the railway line, even better. If they can't, I still love the place and I'm not going to be crying out for someone to come in and demolish it and spend $2 billion to build a new place. That's just my take on it. I'm not saying anyone else is wrong for wanting a new stadium. I'm just saying that's my position. And it is going to be very, very difficult. This entire thing is going to be difficult. Because it's a, it is, it's a, yeah. It's not about football. I mean, unless we get a, a billionaire like benign benefactor who who just loves the club and it's, he's doing it for his legacy, he or she's doing it for his or their legacy. I, I think there will be some mental compromises here. Like if it's, if it's private equity, American-backed private equity, they're there for a very specific profit motive. Yep. And if it's, if it's a state or state aligned from a, from a non-democratic country with a dodgy human rights record, there'll be a very different I'm not saying those things are same or equal. I'm just saying there'll be some there'll be some challenges. And the second one is harder for me to accept. There's plenty of people online who just don't care, right? Blood on the hands or not, just not going to engage with that line of thinking. So But it will see. Anyway, that's that's the story this week. I think there'll be quite a lot more before a sale is actually a fight a preferred bidder and a sale actually goes through. But it's gathering steam at least, and we were kind of promised that it should be concluded by the spring. So. Yeah. We shall see. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back after Leeds Nil United 5 at the weekend.